Hello, everyone. Welcome to another weekly episode of Limitless Podcast, a place where we bring together global leaders in sales and marketing. My name is Sanjana, and I'm the host of Limitless Podcast. Today, we are speaking with Amy Franco. Hi, Amy. Welcome to Limitless. Hi, Sanjana. Thank you so much for having me here. Thank you so much for joining in today. Uh, I'm sure this session is going to be insightful. Uh, excited to host you on our podcast today, Amy. Yeah, same here. And uh, for, for everyone who's listening, uh, my friends here over at Hippo Video, we've, uh, we've done a webinar. We've, uh, we've really extended the partnership. So this is a nice extension of, of that conversation. Yes, yes. Uh, I'll, I'll give the webinar link in the podcast description so you guys can go ahead and watch the webinar as well. It was super insightful. A lot of uh, the webinar attendees, they found it super insightful and they really appreciated it. All right, so uh, let me go, give a quick introduction about Amy. So Amy built a successful B2B sales career with global tech giants like IBM and Lenovo. Uh, she then took a 180 degree pivot into entrepreneurship in 2007, launching a training company called Impact Instruction Group. Uh, she's named as LinkedIn 2019 top sales voice and her book, The Modern Seller is an Amazon bestseller and number one new release. Uh, it was also named a top sales book by Top Sales World and a highly recommended read by Selling Power. So before we begin, Amy, I'm really interested in digging into what led you to be in the position that you're today. Yeah, so um, so like you mentioned in my in my intro in my bio, the first 10 years of my career, I was in uh, in the tech world. So I worked for IBM and I worked for Lenovo and I was in a variety of client facing uh, roles, uh, marketing roles. And then, um, then more recently uh, outside sales roles. So, so that was the first 10 years of my career. I was a quota carrying uh, salesperson mm -hmm. and uh, I had a variety of different types of customers ranging from uh, corporate customers to public sector uh, mid-sized businesses, everything uh, in between, and I sold uh, personal computing technology. So I sold, I sold a commodity product, really. I sold uh, PCs, laptops, tablets, uh, that type of hardware technology. Mm -hmm. And uh, you talk about what led me to today. Yeah. I think I've always had that entrepreneurial spirit, that, that leadership spirit in my DNA. Um, mm -hmm. I, I knew that there was something else that I wanted to do, I just didn't really know what that was going to be. And then I had an opportunity to take a pivot into entrepreneurship uh, 13 years ago, and I started a learning and development company, which that's probably a whole other conversation in itself, how I made the leap from technology to, uh, to learning and development. But, uh, but I am someone who is a lifelong learner. I am the person who loves professional development. I'm always learning and trying new things. So even though at the time it probably didn't make quite a whole lot of sense, it really is a perfect field for me to be in. And so, um, so fast forward over time, the company evolving, mm -hmm. uh, what that looks like today is I started in more custom training, but I, I made my way back to sales. 
And so now I get to combine my love of uh, sales. I get to combine my love of leadership and learning. And so that that's really what we do. Um, I work with organizations who want to accelerate their sales growth results and they want to do it through their people, through, uh, through strategy, through skill building. And so I have um, a strategic selling curriculum that, uh, that we've designed. We bring it to organizations and we help uh, skill them up in sales and we help them uh, make their organizations better. Um, and so it blends everything that I love, entrepreneurship, sales, leadership, and I, and I get to do that every day. Got it, got it. Thank, thank you so much for sharing that with us, Amy. That was so yeah. exciting. All right, let's begin then. Uh, the topic for today is personalization in sales, outreach, and prospecting. Um, so when we look for a way to drive sales, personalization can look like a quick win, but unfortunately, uh, it's not quite that easy because you need to be clear about what value personalization is supposed to add for your customers and then uh, you know test your personalized emails every now and then to make sure it's having the intended effect. Uh, as far as I have seen, I've sent uh, quite a lot of personalized video emails myself, and I've seen it does three things. One, uh, it, your email stands out from the rest of your prospect's inbox. And uh, two, it speaks to the specific pain points that you can solve for the customer. So it builds a rapport with them. And three, it shows you did your homework about the prospect. Uh, so Amy, now I want to hear your thoughts about how you see personalization in sales outreach because uh, sales outreach and cold emails are an integral part of any business, right? So what do you think is the difference between cold emails that work and that doesn't? Yeah, so if I, if I think about that, that first part of the question, which is you know, sales outreach and cold emails being an integral part of any business, yeah. mm -hmm. um, Outreach is how I built my business. When I started in 2007, I had exactly um, one client and it was a client that I had through another strategic partner. So I didn't have any of my own direct clients. I built my business one client at a time, one outreach at a time. Um, you know, there was some scale to that, of course, but we build a business one client at a time if you really break it down to what it is. So when I think about uh, meeting people for the first time, when we are prospecting and we're doing outreach, um, which like I said, is how I built my business, yeah. thinking about the person on the other end of that conversation, whether the other end of that conversation is a video email, whether it's a phone call, whether it's a LinkedIn message, whatever that is. I think about the, the person on the other end, the receiving end of that message. And there, there are two things I'd like to accomplish, which is integral part of any business. First, I'd like to pique their interest in having a further conversation with me. Okay. And I'd like to move the conversation to the next step. It's not my goal to close a sale in an initial outreach. It's, I want to pique their interest. I want them to say, you know, I'd really like to have a conversation with Amy. I, I think that there's something to this and I right. want to advance the conversation. Right. When we can take that type of approach mm -hmm. and you have a team of people that are doing this, you know, imagine the amplification that you can get from that. Um, and to the second part of your question, the difference between cold emails that work and uh, ones that don't, 
I have sent my fair share of um, cold emails. And my definition of cold is that I don't have a connection to this person of any kind. I, I don't have a network connection. I'm looking for a network connection first or some type of introduction. That, that's always part of my own outreach process. But in the absence of that, let's say there's a triggering event or um, there, there's a list, a, a list of people that I need to make a connection with, um, there's a couple things that I'm looking for. I'm looking for those that are really um, fit my target market. I am looking to be very specific in what it is that I'm asking for, looking to accomplish that next step, and um, the, the conciseness and as much of a focus on their business as possible. It, that's, that can be tricky if you are doing a lot of email prospecting in a day, but part of what makes personalization work is doing some homework and understanding a little bit about the person that you're reaching out to, that that's part of personalization. So those are a few things that I've seen work for myself. Got it. That's interesting. Really. So uh, far too many companies practicing outbound think that, you know, targeting is the only way to improve positive responses. And by the time they get to craft their messages, they think putting their prospect's name at the top of the message is enough to make it personalized. But God, how can they be so wrong? Uh, changing the name alone is not personalization, right? No. Personalizing the message is the key here. So why do you think personalization works in sales outreach and what's your take on this? It's so funny that you say that about changing the name at the top of the email. <laughs> I'm sure every single one of us, uh, every, anyone listening has been on the receiving end of that type of message. And you know, what do you do yeah. with it? It's, yeah. uh, you know, when, when we have so many emails coming into our inbox and it's not just emails in our, it's not just emails. We're getting, you know, we're getting direct messages. We're getting LinkedIn messages. Yeah, we're right. getting, you know, we're getting Facebook messages, whatever the social platform is. Right. Yeah. So amplify all of that noise together. It's not just email. And we've all been on the receiving end of, you know, you and I, Sanjana, might get the same email. Your name's at the top of yours and mine's at the top of mine, but it's the exactly. same exact message. And yeah. what are most people going to do? They're going to hit the delete key, right? Right, correct. So, yeah. so when we talk about why personalization works, it, it's, it's kind of in the word. It, it, it's person-to-person -person communication. Um, right. It's taking the time to, uh, it, it's not just customizing the person's name, it's customizing the message and showing that you have put some work into it. Um, yeah. Why personalization works is that it shows you're interested in building a relationship. Um, you are interested in qualifying whether or not we should have a, a further conversation. There will be times when there's absolutely a need for the next conversation, and there will be times where it's not qualified, and you just, you, you keep in touch, you keep the relationship going, um, but personalization also shows you took time, and it shows that you did your homework, that there might be a problem to solve together. So, so personalization of the message and personalization of our intent makes all the difference. Got it. Got it. And uh, what do you think about the misconceptions that people have about personalization? Yeah, you know, it's, um, see, I, and I, I am in a business, I'm in a relationship business. And then I would argue all of us are in a relationship business. Yeah. Yeah. Um, some, some more that some more than others, 
but I build very long-term relationships with my clients. They stay with me for, for years. We, we do work together for years. Okay. Um, so, when we, so when we talk about misconceptions of personalization, mm-hmm. one of them I think is that personalization can be mass produced. I don't, I don't personally think that personalization can be mass produced. Can we um, get efficiencies with it? Can we be more effective with it? Absolutely. Um, But I think the other thing is, is that um, it's this idea of quantity over quality. I think in prospecting there, there's certainly a, a bit of a numbers game to it. You have to put in the work, you have to put in the consistent work to reach people and to build the relationships but I will pick quality over quantity any day of the week. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm thinking about, um, I'm thinking about a couple of recent examples of messages that I received on LinkedIn mm-hmm. and it, it, they are kind of ta- tales of caution, cautionary tales, if you will, about what I think is personalization gone wrong um, mm-hmm. where I will have someone reach out to me on LinkedIn. They will send me a, um, a message. This happened just in the last two weeks. They sent me a very long message and I could tell that it wasn't, personalized because there were details in it that were not relevant to me in any way. So from my perspective, other than putting my name at the top of the message, the rest of it was very boilerplate. Um, And then, uh, and that, that's always a warning sign to me. And I'm like, all right, do I accept the invitation? Do I not accept the invitation? And then this, in this case, I, you know, I hit accept and Sanjana probably within an hour, maybe two, if even that, I had a, a, a bullet list of just different messages flooding my inbox. So as soon as that invitation was accepted, it turned into a permission yeah. to what I think of as over-prospecting. Um, and that, that's something that I see really rampant, especially in social media. And I would say that they're, they're, that's happening in email prospecting as well. I agree, I agree. Even I, I get such messages and I feel like it's, you know, when we accept the invite and they send a uh, pitch, I feel like it's like asking for a hand in marriage as soon as we, you know, go for a first date or something. Yeah, it's like we haven't even met yet. Can, can, we, uh, can, can we do a little, bit more, uh, a little bit more qualification, if you will, before, before we talk, about, before we talk yeah. about what's next? And um, so, so if we, we're, the, we're the seller and we are the ones that are putting those messages out there, mm-hmm. taking a moment to think through how might this be received mm-hmm. and um, by, by the other person. If I were to be receiving this message, what would my reaction be? Would I reply to it? Would I delete it? Would I want to, um, would I want to move forward it, with it? So even just taking a minute to think about how our messages might be received by the other person could, it can help us personalize better and make us a better seller. Exactly. Yes. So my next question is about videos. Uh, yeah. I see you, you do a lot of videos, Amy, uh, you exude confidence in your videos and I'm curious, what was your first video? Like, did you stumble or were you confident? What motivated you to start creating videos? Yeah, so so if I talk about the motivation behind behind videos, um, you know, some of it 
some of it is the market, honestly, Sanjana. Um, you know, the, the market is moving heavily towards or has moved heavily toward towards video. We think about the way that we use our we use our phones, we use our tablets, whatever our devices are. Yeah. Video is something that is uh, we consume a lot of it. And we're going to continue to consume a lot of it. So, so part of my motivation was absolutely driven by wanting to try new technologies, to um, find ways to uh, connect and to, and to share my thought leadership in the market with, with, current, um, with current medium. Right. So, so that was part of it. The other part of it is I wanted to, I'm always pushing myself to learn and to try new things. And if, um, in being able to work with my own customers and clients, video is something that they will need to be doing. So when I'm teaching selling skills to my clients, I want to be able to have tried it and done it myself and do it consistently so that, um, you know, put, puts me in a more credible, visible place with my clients. Um, but video also allows me to connect better. I, I love doing videos and I do a variety of them. Like you said, um, some of them are off the cuff. They are, they're, they're very short. They're off the cuff. Some of them are more, uh, more scripted. Like I will do, I've done video series for the book. That is, those are completely, uh, those are scripted two or three minute videos. Um, so I, I have done a variety. These, this podcast is a great, um, yeah. a great example of video as well, yeah. which yeah. is, you know, uh, you know, a little bit behind the scenes for, for people that are watching and listening. You know, we have some questions that we, we teed up and we wanted to have ready for you, but we also wanted to leave room for ad hoc conversation, casual conversation, like what we're doing here. Right. Um, so video can take a lot of different, uh, a lot of different forms. Um, when, when you talk about like my first videos, yeah. I, you know, I don't know if I actually remember what my first video was, but I can tell you it wasn't good. <laughs> <laughs> it just takes, it takes practice and it takes experimenting with tools. Um, it, it's, it's, uh, you know, I have, I have some lighting that I use. I have some other apps and tools that, that I use as well for different types of, uh, different types of video. But, uh, but for anybody that might feel like they can't do it, it's one of those things that you just got to dive in and do. Um, maybe find someone who you do think is good at video and ask them for, for how they've done it. There are lots of resources out there. I say just dive in and do because the more that you dive in and do, the more confidence that you build. Yes, yes. Practice is the key here. Actually, uh, I started creating videos three years ago and I took almost a full day to record a one minute video. That was my first video and it took me one full day to record it. Uh, I was super nervous and I was not confident at all. But, you know, uh, for a month I was practicing. Uh, so every day I used to record a video and keep on practicing and then uh, it came to me naturally. So practicing is key here uh, when it comes to videos. You are so right. I've, I've definitely had my times where I will be doing a short video and it will take me uh, 10, 15 takes just to get a short <laughs> video. Um, yeah. 
but but you said something that I wanted to come back to, which is about the practice piece. Mm-hmm. There, there's something that, at least for myself, that I've learned about video, and that is that um, it takes twice as much energy to mm-hmm. come across as half as energetic on video. I'm not sure what it is, but I will look at videos of myself and be like, wow, that really didn't have a lot of energy, even though I feel like I had a lot of energy. So it takes you, it's like you have to put more out there to be energetic uh, mm-hmm. and have that personality on camera than, than you think. Um, and I also find I, with your, with your eight hour video shoot, you find by the, I don't know about you, but you find, I find by the end, I, my energy is, is lagging. And so when I do videos, I only, I try to just do them in short blocks of time so I can keep my energy up. Got it. Got it. Yes. That is uh, really important. All right. Uh, So that was super insightful, Amy. Uh, Let's wrap it up with just one last question that I have. Uh, And since you're here today, especially during the COVID-19, I want to ask you this. So how do you imagine the future of sales as uh, businesses are becoming more global and digital every day? Uh, what's your take on this? So I think the future of sales is a lot of foundational relationship building. We are sitting in the middle of this, this pandemic, this crisis, and, and hopefully starting to come out on the, on the other side of it. But I would say what one of the things I've learned through this is that building and keeping your relationships, building and keeping your network, that doesn't change. Um, we are going to continue to be faced with disruptions across the globe. Uh, to your point, because our work now, so much of it is so global. I mean, you, you and I are halfway across the world from each other doing yeah. this podcast. That would not have happened, you know, probably even just a few short years ago. So the the ability to create relationships transcends being in a physical space together. And um, that means for those of us in outward facing roles, um, or any sales role for that matter, Mm -hmm. we have to be able to blend the foundational elements of relationship building and also be willing to embrace new technologies. I believe that video will stay and only become stronger. I believe that virtual selling opportunities, even virtual delivery, depending on what it is that you do, will continue to remain strong as lessons that we've all taken away from from the pandemic. But foundationally, always focus on your relationships, Mm -hmm. keep building your skills, Keep being market forward for your clients. Be out there in front of your clients as a trusted advisor and a problem solver. And I believe that you will position yourself well for the future of sales, uh, no matter what that future might bring. Got it. Uh, Amy, I assume you started, you work remotely for many years. Am I right? Yeah. You know, I have worked remotely for many years. I think back to uh, my when I worked at IBM and at Lenovo, um, which actually was uh, almost 20 years ago now, which is hard to believe. But I was, I have been a mobile worker for two decades. Um, and so now my, my work uh, today is very much uh, remote. I might be in my home office. I might be uh, hopefully in the near future being, being with clients in person very soon. Um, but I also do, um, my 
consulting and, and sales training business is also set up for, uh, for remote delivery. So being able to flex between in-person and remote. And uh, yes, I've been a mobile worker for a long time. All right. So uh, I just thought of this. Uh, what yeah. challenges did you face uh, when you started working remotely? And how do you see remote working now? Uh, how does it solve your uh, challenges now? Yeah, yeah. You know, we've come a long way with remote working. Um, even just in the last, uh, you know, think think about think, if I think back to uh, to two thousand eight and the the recession. You know, the, the recession at that point in time. Yeah, we didn't even have the technology then that right. we have now. We had some of it, but it certainly wasn't as good then as it is now. Yeah. Uh, and and even when I got started in remote working. It was, uh, there, there wasn't uh, even, even 2008 technology we didn't have. Um, so when I think about some of the challenges of remote working that I've had to overcome, um, first I would say that um, it's, the, it's the challenge of productivity. Mm -hmm. It's the challenge of maintaining relationships with your leaders, with your teams, et cetera. Um, those are probably some of the early challenges that, that I still see, but today we have the technologies to be able to uh, maintain, uh, maintain connectivity and just, it's up to us to really use them and to make sure that we're making the most of them. Right. Got it. Got it. That was inspiring and insightful, Amy. Thanks much for this lovely conversation. I actually got a ton of insights on personalization and sales outreach um, you should have given us a lot to think about, and I'm looking forward to learning more from you. Thank you, Sanjana. This is a great conversation, and I appreciate being here with you. Thank you so much for spending your time with me today. See you again. Stay tuned to our weekly upcoming episode with more sales and marketing leaders from around the globe. We are on Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and more. Subscribe to get notified when a new episode is out. Also, please leave us a review if you're on Apple. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.